So that's Children's Church for our youngest in the room, four to seven. Of course, if you have a baby with you that needs nursery care, we have that available as well. And it's a fun time. Pastor Darren loves kids. It's one of the first things you recognize if you watch the great cloud of witnesses that assembles around him on a regular basis. And I love that he is taking them through basic Bible teaching and helping them have an appreciation for the doctrines of the faith, and also training them to be good sermon listeners when they graduate from that. Take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Peter. We're going to get there in just a few moments. We'll touch a few scriptures before we get there. If you've been journeying with us over the past two weeks toward Christmas, you know that we're in Advent. Grace Covenant family, thank you for your patience as I go through this, but we have folks tuning in for the first time on a regular basis and first-time guests, and it's such a delight to see so many of you here this morning. Advent is the celebration of the coming, the expectation that Christ was going to arrive, the coming, the arrival, that's what Advent means. And as Christians in 2021, we celebrated a couple of ways. We are thankful that he came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby in the manger. We are thankful that he is here with us now in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're thankful that one day soon, Christ himself will return as he promised he would. And so Advent is a loaded celebration for us. We focus on attributes of God that are revealed throughout Advent as we work through the weeks. And this week, we come to joy. Joy. Now, earlier we read 1 Peter chapter number 1, and that phrase, joy, inexpressible and filled with glory, showed up. Inexpressible and filled with glory. We, we knew it from the old uh, King James as unspeakable and full of joy. Same thing. It's joy that defies explanation. That joy word is hara. It looks like chera when you say it, but it's hara. It's the way it's pronounced. And it's this deep inner thing that God has done inside that bubbles up on the outside. And I'm not talking about a bubbly personality or even um, just the way that someone conducts their life and business, their temperament. I'm speaking of a gift from the Lord that is ours in Christ. That word inexpressible uh, means unutterable. It cannot be expressed in word. It's not spoken, filled with glory, uncontainable. Wow. This is not just getting hyped up about the holiday. This is something from God himself. Let me do a, try to give you an illustration that I thought might resonate. Have you ever received, anybody in the room received a puppy for Christmas? Did anybody in here ever get a puppy for Christmas? Okay, anybody in here ever try to give a puppy for Christmas? Okay, I see that hand. I feel like Billy Graham. I, all the way in the back, to the left, I see those hands all over, all over. Uh, so the TV commercials make it look so amazing, right? The puppy just kind of pops out. I've got a vet in the room, too, listening very carefully to my prescription of you boxing up dogs. So um, it looks so great there, ah, right? And the puppy just pops out, and everything's great. And you don't think about this clumsy oversized thing that should not be boxed up and they've got to be air holes and you can't wrap it too tight and what do you have like 30 seconds to like put them in a box and so you got to time it and hide the thing there's a lot 
that goes into a successful puppy gift that could be unwrapped. You've seen the commercial on TV where the kids are looking at the presents at the birthday party and said, which present do you want to do first? And there's a pony wrapped, literally it's just a pony with wrapping paper around it. You can clearly see it's a pony. The little girl goes, that one, right? Puppies, not so much. Why? Because puppies are hard to contain. There's a lot of tricks, I'm sure, to help, but uh, it's a lot of work and a very short window to keep this little guy, let's just say the word clean, shall we? Okay. And, and tidy. A dog is an uncontainable uh, thing in a box. It comes spilling out with love and it wants to lick everything and probably nip if it's a puppy at everything in sight and it doesn't stop there. Have you ever met anybody that's received a puppy at any time in their life, right? Because they're going to tell you about the puppy. They're going to show you pictures of the puppy. They're going to talk about the puppy. They're going to take the puppy everywhere that they are able to and some places they shouldn't. Take the puppy with them. That's this kind of joy. Now, don't leave here and write in the margin of your Bible, puppy joy. But that's this kind of joy we're talking about this morning. Less hairy, a little tidier, of course. But it's this boundless, uncontainable joy. It overflows. When you experience the joy that God gives, you want to share it with everyone that you come into contact with, as many people as you can. It bubbles up. It spills out and it touches every person it comes into contact with. That's what that word hada looks like. That's that joy that clearly points to a state of gladness, great cheerfulness. Listen to this. I like this. Settled, sustained happiness. Settled, sustained. Two qualifiers in front of the word happiness. I'll come back to that in a moment. It's the kind of joy mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 8 where the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The psalmist in Psalm 4 says you've put more joy in my heart than they have grain and wine. Psalm 21, you have made him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. You know this psalm, the anger of the Lord is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but say it, joy comes in the morning. I feel like the preacher on Pollyanna when he's just found all the glad texts. But here we go. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for Joy. Songwriters picked up on that. I sing for joy at the work. Forever I love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. And the angels that we read the proclamation of this morning. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. The list goes on and on. And as we look at the build-up to expecting the arrival of Jesus Christ, let's step back into that Christmas narrative this morning. With your fingers still there in 1 Peter, turn over to Luke chapter number 1, and let's hit this first point together. This kind of joy that God gives us is a joy that overcomes shame. This joy is greater than shame. Joy overcomes shame. Elizabeth's story is in Luke chapter number one. If you were here with us on the first Sunday of Advent, you remember we talked about Zechariah. Luke 1 tells us the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. 
They were the parents of John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus as Messiah. Zechariah was priest, who received a visit from the angel of the Lord. You remember, the, the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, we mentioned some of the challenges that Zechariah and Elizabeth faced, and I'm not going to go through those all again. This moment, though, I want to zoom in on Elizabeth for a moment. She experienced deep joy in the midst of these miraculous events that she found herself in. To understand her joy, though, we've got to take a look and understand a little bit about her pain. One of my favorite passages is from Psalm 127, where the Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, yes, that's Old Testament, but we believe that today. And the New Testament church embraces that. It's the reason we don't make um, silly and unkind and untoward statements toward families that have lots of children. And I know that Grace Covenant family wouldn't do that, but children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from God. The rest of that verse goes on to say that the fruit of the womb is a reward. We still believe that today. But it doesn't mean that those who aren't blessed with children aren't rewarded or blessed. They're just not blessed with children. Psalm 127, it goes on to say, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior are the children of one's youth. Here's the catch, verse 5. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In this day, children allowed their parents to carry on the family name. They would likely become a part of the family's work and carry that on for generations. They were viewed as a gift from God and a sign of God's favor. Now, they would take some extra liberties with the text there and infer from that the opposite, that if you didn't have children, you weren't blessed by God. You weren't favored by the Lord. It was a source not only of frustration, but of sorrow and of shame. And Elizabeth would have known this despair for years and years and years. Still, we have record that she and her husband honored the Lord. She was involved in the community life, no doubt, because they had a good reputation. The Bible says they were both, in verse 6, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So even though she was dealing with this great disappointment and heartbreak in her life, she didn't bleed all over social media about it. Right? She didn't, as soon as she came into contact with somebody, verbal vomit on them all of the woes of her life and how bad and tough life was that she didn't have a baby. No, they led and served well. They were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Can I just encourage you this morning? You may have it tough. You may have an extra dose of toughness this day. But let the joy of the Lord be your strength. 
Do you want to be around people? I know there's a cry for transparency. Listen, I, I'm all for authenticity. I'm all for transparency. But, but can you dial back the negativity some? Right? Can you press pause for a moment? Elizabeth was able to. Dealing with this great shame, can you imagine the joy that would have come then when the angel says you're going to have a baby? I mean, hope and joy must have kicked around in her heart like a baby kicking in her womb in verse 25 of Luke chapter number one. If you're just looking in your Bibles, it's not on the screen for you. She says, thus has the Lord done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach. Now here's something curious about Luke and the way that he writes this. I want to talk to Dr. Hall and see if there's something here in the physician's notes that's noteworthy. Just like Mary was secluded for five months, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, was secluded for about five months. We don't know what happened. Why did she hide away for five months? Did she think nobody would believe her? She'd been not pregnant all this time and she needed to like be, like we say around here, right? Oh, so-and-so's pregnant and then we say so-and-so's really pregnant, right? No? Nobody says that? That's probably the reason I don't say that anymore. So, right, but there's an, there becomes evidence that somebody is with child. It's a beautiful thing. Maybe she wanted to wait until she was showing. I don't know. Maybe she'd been here before. We don't know if she miscarried, if that was a part of what happened, and she wanted to make sure that she was able to carry this baby to term. Maybe this was a way of her sharing with her husband. She loved her husband in his silence that she chose to suffer with him. We don't know. What we do know is this. At the sixth month, she experienced a deep encounter with joy that was brought about by the visiting Messiah while he was in the womb of Mary. We talked about this last week. Mary left her home shortly after her own angelic visit and came to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, for three months. As soon as she arrived, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a, here's a sudden end to the silence and the seclusion. Her joy has overflowed and it's overflowed onto Mary because from that we get the magnificent and Mary says, my soul, it's just a beautiful thing. The puppy is out of the box. Joy is flowing and it is contagious. Mary bursts into her own song. We know that. We celebrate that. We sing that already before Jesus has exited the womb. He's already bringing joy. All life matters at all stages. Be reminded of that in the Christmas season. Here's Jesus bringing joy as a baby in the womb. And then we see the joy rippling outward again during this phase. The verse will be on the screen. Look at the end of this particular portion of the narrative, the birth of John the Baptist, verse 58. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they who, neighbors and relatives, rejoiced with her. Wow. Wow. This joy that, that God gives us overcomes shame. I don't know if you remember any of your math skills from your days. You high school students have it, middle school now, maybe even elementary, but the greater than sign, right? This thing is greater than that. Joy goes on the greater than side of shame when that joy is from Jesus. Second point this morning, this kind of joy that we're describing is fueled by the Lord Jesus Christ alone. 
This kind of joy is fueled by Christ. You can't work this kind up and sustain it. Oh, you can have a moment, right? You can TikTok it too, apparently. But uh, this is not a fleeting moment. This is something deep, deep within, and it's sustained by Christ. Let's go back to our key text this morning in 1 Peter 8. What would you and I give to know such joy? To see the scars and the shame of our life washed away so dramatically. I mean, imagine it. Elizabeth's no longer just kind of getting things done and doing it with humility. She's still doing it with humility as far as we know. But she has her head held high at the joy of the Lord that has become her strength and brought life where there wasn't. 1 Peter 1.8, Norm read it well. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This joy that's fueled by Jesus most likely won't bring about some calendar-changing miracle in your life today. Like, I don't think everybody in all society is going to impact. It, it could. God's certainly not limited in that expression but that's just not the way we typically see the Lord work. It could be in the day today, but make no mistake, Jesus brings joy and he fuels it and it's available to us right now, an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's the kind of joy that runs much deeper than happiness. Happiness is good, happiness feels good, but it can be fleeting. Pursuing happiness for the sake of happiness can be a shallow, and self-centered pursuit as well. Have you come to know this? Some of you have. Some of you are young and you're mature beyond your years because you've come to know that you're not chasing everything the world puts in your path that says will bring happiness. In fact, Viktor Frankl, the famous Jewish survivor of World War II Nazi concentration camps, wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, it's the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness getting caught in the rat race. Got to have more, 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 more. I'm trying to introduce you to the fountain that never runs dry. His name is Jesus. Joy includes happiness, but it's much deeper. Joy permeates our souls. It, it's rooted in gratitude. It's rooted in meaning. It's rooted in hope fulfilled, especially when it's based in a relationship with our Creator. When it's true, sustaining, and lasting joy, you know it comes from God alone. Jesus, the source of our joy. I want to look at four words that pop up in that verse of 1 Peter 1.8. If you've got your Bibles there, you could circle these words or underline the words. Um, or you can grab a pew Bible and do it. It's okay for you to write in that one too. But I would take note of uh, the four words that I'll pop up in just a moment. Peter, when Peter's writing this first epistle, first Peter, he's dealing with holiness and suffering, and he's marrying the two. Uh, just a little uh, insight into the context here. He, he's saying that the holy will suffer and that the holy will be made more holy as they share in Christ's suffering. Well, that's an exciting Christmas message, isn't it? Welcome to Christmas, holy, 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 suffer, 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 right? That's what your pastor preached on this morning. I don't know, I don't have any joy. <laughs> um, he knows that suffering is a part of life and that we are purified. In fact, our joy can be purified in that suffering. 
He calls us to our inheritance that's both now and not yet. He mentions that in chapter 4 later on when he says that even though Christ isn't with us now, we share in his sufferings and we know that his glory will be revealed. This kind of power only is brought about by the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ stepped into our world took himself uh, the form of a man, robed with flesh. He who knew no sin became sin because you and I were sin. On our best day, we were open, hostile rebels against a holy God. But Christ took the wrath of God that should have been poured out on all of us, absorbed that on the cross, was crucified for your sins and my sins, buried in a borrowed tomb, raised to life on the third day, and he's here this morning inviting you to a well of joy. That's just the gospel, and this, is kind, this, is kind of, this kind of joy only comes from the good news of the gospel. Look at the words I want you to notice. The first word in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, is love. Do you see it? Though you've not seen him, you love him. Jesus, in that priestly prayer he prayed in John, said about those, blessed are those who've not yet seen me, but have faith in me. You're walking with me, you see me and handle me. John would even say, we touched and handled him with our own hands. And Jesus says, yeah, you did, that's awesome, but there's coming a church that won't even see me like you see me, but they'll still love me and know me. You've not seen him, and yet you love him. Peter here is referring to, watch this, hear me, especially men in the room. This is unashamed, extravagant affection. That's the word. Poured out on the Son of God. You don't have to see Jesus in the flesh to be passionate for him. We see him in the revelation of God's word. We see God at work as the spirit of the living God quickens our hearts and our souls to hate sin and love people in a way that's only described as divine love. Passionate affection, undeniable and unquenchable. That's normal behavior for the true child of God. This is not super saint status stuff. This is normal walking with Jesus behavior. Love, the next word, believe Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. A living relationship with God involves trusting Jesus. The word believe does not mean just giving mental assent to doctrinal truths. I like that you've checked out our statement of faith on the website. I like that some of you opened the PDF and dove deep and researched the scripture references. That's awesome, but just going uh-huh to that is not what we're talking about here. This is trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, yielding to him, relying on him moment by moment, entrusting your soul to him, turning to him at all times for strength and encouragement and hope. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that kind of believing is saving faith. Love, believe, and then there's the word joy, that hara, it's lovely. He's referring to an unashamed, extravagant affection and the wonderful grace of our Lord giving us a joy that bubbles up and overflows. 
The fact that we have been forgiven for our, of our sins. The fact that we have a home in heaven whose builder and maker is God. The fact that the Holy Spirit is with us now. The fact that God, the creator of the universe, said, I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. The fact that God has set the stage for us to enjoy Jesus ought to rock your world. And, and I'm sorry, if you introduce me to somebody and say, this is a brother in Christ and he doesn't enjoy Jesus, that's a red flag for me. We're not called to get addicted to the mechanics or the behaviors of church. We're called to enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me hasten before I get sidetracked here. The last word there is glory. Look at these beautiful words in this passage. Love, believe, joy, Glory. You can't do any of this without God. When you see that phrase filled with glory, I don't know if your mind takes you to the Old Testament images of the bright, shining radiance of God's presence. This glory here also refers to the glory of the coming age when all things will be set right and consummated when we enter into the fullness of our relationship with Christ. Yes, there's a picture of God on the mountain. Yes, there's a picture of Christ on the throne. But even now, in this present, though we do not yet see Him, this experience that we have is where the past and the future have invaded the present to allow us to taste the glory of God. What a God. As we turn our eyes expectantly to Jesus in this season, as we walk with him day after day, we find a biblical joy that overcomes shame, a biblical joy that's fueled by Jesus, a biblical joy that defies circumstances. It just defies circumstances. A quick reference there, don't worry, the last point is really a call to action. This type of joy that God gives defies circumstances. Hear me carefully. Joy that is drawn from Jesus, watch this, sees the big picture beyond the immediate pain. Can I say something to you? I'm not here to minimize your pain. I'm not here to ignore your challenge or your suffering or your hardship. Those are very real. I'm here to ask you to just trust that God is doing something in the midst of those so that you can, let's look at the text, James 1 and 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, pause, look at me, look at me, church, this is stuff we know. Don't let the devil cause you to forget these things. We know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And we let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Biblical joy understands that there's far more going on than what we are dealing with right in front of us. There's a process involved. And that's part of the point. We continue practicing opening our hearts to God's spirit, but we understand that God is always at work even in the tough stuff of life. And God will one day make everything right and we will be whole. We may not get that here. But it's a promise 
of the life to come. Peter touched on this purifying of our joy that only comes through suffering. Can I ask you a few questions? What are the circumstances that you're facing right now as we journey toward Christmas? What are the situations that are trying to steal your joy or hide the light of God's goodness? What are the hurts? Where is the pain that seems to right now overrule the things that you know to be true? Can I encourage you to take a look from another angle this morning? Not to ignore those things, but I want you to ask the Lord today to give you another view, to show you the big picture beyond the immediate pain. You may not experience a miracle like Elizabeth did, but here's the miracle of God. God is with us. His Spirit is present among us. His Word is alive. And that's cause for joy even in the darkest days. This was the message that the angel gave long ago to the terrified shepherds outside of the city when the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This kind of joy overcomes shame. It's fueled by Jesus. It defies circumstances. I'm serious when I say folks will be looking at you and they're going to say, now if I were going through what you're going through, I would have lost my mind. That doesn't mean you're floating around on clouds singing the hallelujah chorus all the time. It does mean that there's something deep inside of you that is greater than greater than what's in front of you. So here's the fourth point in the call to action. It really is, and we're going to use Mary in a text we've already looked at. Choose joy. This joy that I've described to you this morning is a choice. It's a choice. We talked about Mary in previous weeks. I've mentioned her this morning, and we talked about her even as she approached her cousin Elizabeth she showed up at her house and was Elizabeth overcome with joy? Absolutely. Did it overflow onto Mary? Absolutely. And Mary says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant and behold from now on all generations will call me blessed. There are important words there, but one of the most important words in verse 47 is the word rejoice. Focus on that one word there. It's the active word of joy. Rejoice. That's Mary's choosing. It's her embracing joy in the role that she'd been given. Can I tell you something? She didn't have to. Did you ever think about that? She didn't ask for this. I mean, seriously, this could have gone so many ways. The angel shows up, makes the announcement, and Mary goes, uh, no, but thanks for asking, right? The angel didn't go, look, I've got a proposition for you. What do you think about this? We're wanting your permission to do this. No, it was the will of God. It was to be done, and the angel proclaimed what was going to be. Mary didn't ask for this, but she chose to focus on the big picture. She chose joy. She focuses on her difficult role but she embraces it with a song of praise. This morning, Grace Covenant family, seated 
right here in the heart of the Charlotte South End. This morning, Grace Covenant family and friends watching online, I want to tell you something. We can do the same. We can choose joy. We can choose to rejoice. We can embrace the miracle of God with us, and we can align our vision with the work that He is doing in and through us. We can do it. This is something you can do if you have Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you need reminders. Pull the phone out. Hey, Siri, remind me. I better not say that. Every device will go off. You say, hey, remind me to such and such. And, and it happens. And it's, it did it just now. Isn't that funny? And you, and you set reminders for the day. All throughout Scripture, there are reminders for us to be joyful. Let me just give you a couple. Luke 10. Jesus is with his disciples. They're excited about something. He says you're excited about the wrong thing. Don't rejoice because spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Romans 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. These are only the beginning. The Bible is full of glad texts. Joy texts. We have reason for joy because God is with us every moment of the day. I'm going to ask the musicians to come, singers to take their place as well. I'm going to give you a moment to respond to the message in just a moment. I want to ask you this morning to choose joy. Of all the things you could choose, stop complaining about all the things you don't like about the Christmas season. We know. We get it. Everybody knows the songs you don't like. Everybody knows the commercialism you don't like. Everybody knows that. We, we bleed all over everything about the things we don't like. I'm asking you this morning to start letting joy bubble up and over. Focus on the Lord instead. Love Him with that unashamed, extravagant affection that stokes the fires of joy. Let's rejoice as we celebrate His birth together. Let's rejoice as we await the arrival of Christ's soon return as king. Let's rejoice because God is with us, which means joy is with us. A joy that flows deep within our spirits, outward to those around us, because our king, our savior, is always loving. He's always working in us, even in the midst of the hardships we face. Before you can choose this kind of joy, friend, you have to recognize that Christ alone delivers it. If you're here this morning and you're searching for hope, if you're here this morning and you're longing for love, if you are here or there this morning and you are a stranger to this joy, you don't have to leave that way. Weak and lowly sinner, lift your head, Jesus is passing by. In the words of this sermon, in the singing of the hymns, in the praying of God's people, he's here calling you to come and follow him. While Julia prays, I'm gonna ask you to cry out to God for the forgiveness of your sin and surrender your will to his rule and reign in your life. Come to Jesus today while you have time. There's joy full of glory, waiting. Let's pray.
Father, in this we rejoice. We've been grieved by various trials, but we know that you're testing the genuineness of our faith. It's more precious than gold. Lord, we want to be found resulting in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't seen him, but we love him. We don't seem right now in that way that the disciples did as they walked and talked with him on the streets of Jerusalem, Lord, but we believe and we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because you are the Savior of our souls. We love you. We bless you. We rejoice in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen.